Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. My first 24 hours in Fiji, I realised that the team had gone bankrupt. Their bank accounts had been frozen by World Rugby. So being investigated for corruption, the players had all disappeared because they weren't getting paid, that my boss was a military dictator and that my line manager was a convicted murderer. And they had no discipline. They had no training base. You suddenly have to think about what do I need to do today to start to move the needle in a positive direction. I couldn't suddenly jump in and start to go, okay, I, I've done this with England. I've done this with this club. Therefore, I'm going to do it with Fiji. I, you have to have that time to listen and to learn and to and, and understand the time in that culture before you then decide upon the pace and the risk of the decisions that you're going to make around that group of people. Today, I'm talking to Ben Ryan, Director of Elite Performance at Brentford Football Club. After careers in teaching and as a professional rugby player, Ben went on to become the most successful men's rugby sevens coach in the world. The only one to win the continental, world and Olympic titles. His book, Sevens Heaven, describes his experience coaching an under-resourced, chaotic Fiji sevens team all the way to the 2016 Olympic gold. Fiji's first ever Olympic medal. This achievement brought with it several accolades including his face now featuring on Fijian banknotes, as well as being named a Fijian tribal chief. He's been in the current role in Premier League football since June 2022. In our conversation, Ben shares how he spots others feeling the pressure, what he means by find the trampolines, and why he had to make a life-changing decision in just 20 minutes. Ben, thank you so much for agreeing to talk about pressure. I'm incredibly intrigued because in my mind you've sort of got an MBA in pressure I think <laughs> in the amount of stuff that you've been doing but it would be great just to start to get a sense of you know what does pressure mean to you? That is a great question. I gosh what does pressure mean to me? I think it's when you feel that you need to execute what you're supposed to do at the level that you're supposed to do it so you're supposed to perform you know mm. pressure isn't for me is about if i if i am having those um somatic uh um indicators so you know shortened breath um sleepless nights um constantly going back to the same issues or you're suddenly feeling that you're not being your best version because pressure's been slowly uh, ramped up on you it's normally because you're feeling like there's there's a real onus on you to perform, to deliver, I suppose, is the is the key thing. And yeah. it's only when you get used to having so many different experiences of things that you can start to quickly filter whether something should be causing you that pressure, um, you know, and how to deal with it, you know. And, and so small things for me in my in my life has allowed me to find little tools to uh, take a breath sometimes actually take a breath to to reduce the pressure yeah. yeah I love that point about 
I think it's so important as well that it builds up over time, right? You know, often I'm working with people and they haven't necessarily experienced a level of pressure like that before. And it's very alarming. But Mm. what you're saying is actually it's like incremental shifts in dealing, finding yourself able to deal with the pressure and then it kicks in or or the tips or the techniques that help you manage it can kick in easier. Um, do you remember? Do you remember the first time you felt it, Ben? Gosh, okay. Um, as a kid, mm. I was a good. I was a high level athlete, and I had um, at the time I started in middle distance. So um, I used to have to run at least two laps, maybe three, and I would be so nervous before thinking of the pressure that that was upon me and it might be a a school sports day where you know the competition wasn't too great and you might win an 800 meter race by a couple of hundred meters I would still be very very nervous to the point where I would think of ways to construct failure so I remember running in the London schools cross country and I was running around in uh, Parliament Hill uh, in North London and I thought okay here's a tree that I could fall, fall over and just lose myself 50 meters and now I've got an excuse if I don't get into the places I wanted to get to I've fallen off I, I ran around a curb uh, on a track and uh, and I've tripped on that as well to just self-sabotage and I remember writing to a psychologist I, I don't know how I found out uh, this guy's name must have been something I'd watched on telly and I got a letter back from them and they said um look you're too young to to have any problems with any of this sort of stuff you know just I think it was like train harder or forget about it. You know, it didn't help me at all. And <laughs> I, 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 my solution was to take the, I, I went down to a, just one lap and started running 400 meters and got certain, and, and I didn't, and it, and that was probably the first time from an athlete because as a rugby player in a team environment, I didn't feel the pressure. Oh. Um, I, I had too many other people around me yeah. and I didn't feel that the spotlight was on me directly yeah so i would get the you'd get the nerves like you do for any any event as you're you know you're 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 going out to play but it wasn't anything that would constrict me or make me feel that i I would be a lesser version of myself which was the case when it was just me yeah so I i think for me the pressure comes on as an individual doesn't come on when i'm working in a collective right okay I'm so interested in that constructing failure. Did that give you something? I mean, did it innate, uh, when you were performing as an individual in that, you know, as a young boy, what was it doing for you? I mean, it must be have done something in terms of helping you manage the pressure, constructing that failure. Did it? Yeah, it dissipated. Um, it gave me, it dissipated the, the, the stress. I mean, I know that from a, a physical point of view, you know, that, that, soma- that somatic anxiety where you're actually feeling sick and I often was sick before races, um, it would go when you started running and then you'd become more of a mental pressure and a, a mental anxiety. And then I, if I then, you know, fall over or do something stupid in the race tactically, then you've got an excuse. It's not down to your ability. It's, you know, you've fallen over, you've lost 50 metres on the opposition. Well, of course, you're not going to catch them up. Um, and if you do, then, you, you know, that, that's that's a bonus, um, yeah. which is a really weird way to think about it because, you know, you, you you work really hard, you train really hard, and, and then you kind of self-sabotage. But I've seen that at Olympic Games with athletes and at world-class level where 
you know, people put four hours, four, sorry, years of seven days a week, huge amounts of sacrifice, and then the pressure gets too much and they they go out drinking in an Olympic mm. week, you know, a day before the event when they know it's the wrong thing, but they give themselves an excuse. And yeah. it's very, really interesting. I think I've probably learned to spot that now with, with staff members and with athletes that might be veering towards putting excuses in their way so that their pressure they can they can see it slightly differently from a different perspective if that if that makes sense yeah so how do you do that how do you notice that I mean I'm really interested in your career actually I think you know you you were a player to a teacher which of course you and I have connection on that and then to coaching and listen and reading your book you know that the teacher Ben comes out so strongly through that in terms of the building and managing other people's pressures and building the team. So how do you like now in your position? How do you spot players who are starting to do that under the pressure? I don't. I don't have a a list of things that I'm looking for. I have observational stuff that I'll see. So it might be just how they're holding themselves. It might be a pattern of turning up late for things or not mm. doing things. It might be the conversations that I have with them and how they use the the, the um, how they word things, um, how they um, how they interact with other people, um, how they talk about their performance. Um, mm. If it's an athlete, yeah, this sometimes you can also see it in the way that they're playing. Um, they're either constructing a way of playing that is giving them more excuses, or um, yeah, it might they might be doing less or they might be doing more. And it's you only get to see that by understanding that the person that you're that you're coaching or you're working alongside to start to see that their tells or their cues are different to what their normal best version looks like. Yeah. So it's kind of you have to be able to see a person's best version, in my opinion. There are some obvious things. If you're suddenly seeing someone that's having a panic attack before a game, or you know that there's there's yeah. there's probably a reason behind that that's a surrounding pressure. And um, but if it's more subtle cues, then your my interventions will be on firstly on a, on a, on a, on, a, on communication, on creating a sp- safe space. And I'm currently as performance director at Brentford. You know, I have that ability where I'm not selecting the team. So if a, if a player wants, if I see something in a player or a member of staff, hopefully those guys will know that I'm just trying to help them be their best version. You know, it, it may or may not get them into the team, get them a promotion, get their job done, but it's just trying to help them. And so I'm I'm seeing those little things that I can have interventions on and I might be able to um, point them in the right direction on how we, they can get back to the altitude that they want to be flying at. Um, yes. And I always use that analogy that, you know, we don't, we don't fail normally on one big thing. It's a series of small incremental things. And the key is as you're losing altitude to spot it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will come from yourself and from other people being able to to tell you. And then having those mechanisms to be able to see it and then get yourself back up to the altitude that you want to get to. Um, and so that's kind of one of the one of the ways I always I always look at it. Uh, I don't always get it right, but um more often than not you know you can you can spot when someone's beginning to feel the pressure ramping up on them uh, and you look at ways yeah. to try to ease that and even just recognizing it and just telling someone uh, 
that you yeah. understand this is why you're feeling like you're feeling makes them feel better because if you feel like you've been seen and you're not being judged then yeah. that's a pretty good start point yeah so once you've spotted it and you've acknowledged it and they're able to talk about it you say there's a few interventions what sort of interventions do you use ben as elite performance coach with these teams and also i'm sure you know all the way through your career what would you say your top interventions when you see a player under pressure i wouldn't say there's one top intervention i've got to make sure that i am um, uh you know it's important to 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 say that i'm not a qualified psychologist so and uh, uh, and that's not what i do um i'm around performance and i have a very wide knowledge base and experience around helping people become their best version and helping therefore teams so it will be once i understand a player and i know a bit more about them then it will be never telling them what to do but perhaps opening the door to a change of routine or behavior that might help them feel about pressure in a different way Um, and so i really for some players it might be something as simple as you know that their match day is not how they how they approach match day minus one the day before a game or the morning of a game it just might be missing some key things that makes them feel more confident about them being able to perform and and it might be some i might then point them in the way of our our our, our sleep consultant because mm-hmm. there might be something going on there and that's causing pressure it might be around their diet and um and what they're what they're doing from a nutrition point of view it might be around how they're training um or how they're warming up it might be around them not having any or putting all their goals around outcomes and not processes and i've seen mm. that a lot with athletes where they're just so focused on keeping a clean sheet scoring a goal getting a, yeah. a, a pb winning that particular race or that match and they don't take that away and get into processes and then connect that actually if you do this as a process that you can control then there's every likelihood that the outcomes and things you want will be there. But don't hang your hat on that because occasionally other stuff come in that you can't do anything about and will affect an outcome. But your processes could still be absolutely spot on. And consistency and consistent behaviours is also a key thing that will help people reduce their feelings of anxiety and pressure. Yeah. That's so helpful. And also when you think, because I know you, you, you've done quite a lot of work in business as well, haven't you, Ben? So the, right. I, I'm always thinking about the transference of some of these gems of information when, you know, elite sport or performing in the performing arts or the military. And that's what it, it's thinking about what's transferable um, to people that are dealing with all sorts of multiple pressures, maybe not just a game or a final or, you know, uh, an Olympic target, but they've got all of these different things coming in. and. I'm wondering when you were working in business, what did you feel? What did you see as being most useful connection between your world and their world? Yeah, there's there's obvious stuff in sport and business that just don't relate. You know, yes, uh, yeah. you know, if if somebody's not up to the task, you know, I, I you can't suddenly on the spot fire someone really if you know whereas in a football team you know if there's someone that's not playing well or a rugby team then you don't select them for that game and I think that I think it comes back to the kind of approach behavior and conversations you have with people and them taking that literally taking that breath Mm -hmm. on not looking at and you know there's a 
there's a good book called Upstream um, that is about not when when you're suddenly thinking of a problem or something becomes anxious, that end point, you take a breath and you go upstream and you mm. think about it a bit more strategically. And you, and you also then quickly, I mean, I, I do it all the time where I'm thinking of something and I'm going, okay, this is important, but is it urgent? Mm. No, okay, I can park this for a while, just... Um, the amount of times that I've spoken to people that haven't been able to get to to sleep in them in the middle of the night because they're worried about whatever it is the deadline the quarterlies their appraisals the important conversation a meeting they've got with someone that they're desperate to bring into the business um, or the game or um, the match that might be might be in front of them and once they and um, they kind of repackage their thinking and going the benefit to me of worrying about this and not getting my sleep tonight is contrary to, to, to me performing well. So why am I doing it? Why can't I park it? Why can't you help them create a way of putting those thoughts into a box until they wake up in the morning and yeah. go into that? You know, and I, I've used it with a few people where it's almost like, it's all right, like I'll put it on this imaginary desk that yes. I'm going to wake up in the morning and open this. And when I've had a good night's sleep and I've had something to, to eat, and I can deal with it with bright eyes. I'm not going to let it drain me tonight. And it's not happening. And I, and and actually, even just simply and like this self-talk stuff works yeah. really well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, there's there's a couple of little um, tech devices that I've been using recently with people. Um, there's something called I've not I've got no um, I've got no uh, money in this place called Sensate, <laughs> but it's right. just a little vib- a vibration pebble almost that hits your vagus nerve a little bit, calms you down. And that with some some self-talk and perhaps some music that's linked into that, yeah, it can take you away from that panicky, anxious, what you perceive to be urgent place yeah. into giving you a bit more, um, uh, giving, giving you a bit more perspective. And yeah. often pressure becomes greater when you, don't see the perspective in something and some you sometimes you need an external someone external that you trust to tell you hey hey, ben like you know just relax about this this isn't something that's you know get you're gonna you're gonna fall or rise upon and then some sometimes you need those internal mechanisms where no one's around where it is the middle of the night or it is just before you're about to walk into that meeting or onto that pitch or onto that track and you have that ability to take a breath, to package it in the right way, to put it into process rather than outcome, to find perspective, and to also maybe just put it, splice it up a little bit into smaller sections rather than one big, yeah, crazy and pressured environment. You can put it into small things into, okay, that first meeting that you're trying to get this person to to to, to invest in your business or buy your product what does the first 30 seconds want to look like for you you know yeah. rather than what's this hour looking like and and then it gives you a bit more clarity and then it's something that you feel you can control a little bit more and it's a bit like well look you start the game like this get yourself into this shape um these are a couple of things you want to do early on in the first five minutes that aren't outrageous that just get you steadied and just yeah. get you into a solid start point people yeah. generally find that far more manageable and it lessens that that anxiety yeah I love that phrase gets you steady what is it that's going to get you steady 
Um, I had uh, Rachel Osborne speaking last week, actually, the CEO of Ted Baker, and she was talking about that sleep moment, you know, in the night when it's like one o'clock in the morning and these things are starting to come into your head. And um, she puts it on a little imaginary boat and literally watches it go down the river. You know, so it's 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 yeah. And and that's what's so fascinating about these conversations, Ben, is that there are no rules. It's like but but what I love and what is coming out in all of these conversations and you're emphasizing it again now is the consistency and the intentionality of it and knowing yeah. actually what's your process. OK, so experiment with it, try it, see if it makes a difference, you know, and all of that. And that's that's what I loved about um, the detail in your book around, you know, how you work with the Fijian team, you know, who, who didn't have any of the network or any of the support mechanisms that you'd come from in terms of the UK. <laughs> you, had a, you had some strong sand dunes and, you know, and, and strong yep. family members and, and, it, and you choosing how you are going to uh, tap into to those uh, for, for greater good it was yeah. fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean, my current environment in a Premier League football club and at the start when I, when I was uh, um, with England and we had lots of resources and then you put in the middle of, of that in my career, Fiji, um, yeah. that was, you know, my first 24 hours in Fiji that I realised that the, 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 the team had got gone bankrupt, that their, their bank accounts had been frozen by World Rugby, so being investigated for corruption, the players had had all disappeared because they weren't getting paid, that my boss was a military dictator and um, and that my line manager was a convicted murderer. Um, <laughs> and they had no discipline or no, they had no training base. Um, you suddenly had to think about, okay, um, what do I need to do today to start to move the needle in a positive direction? And coming from, you know, a, a culture as, you know, from the UK to a third world country, um, I I couldn't suddenly jump in and start to go, okay, I, I've done this with England. I've done this with this club and that place. Therefore, it's I'm going to do it with Fiji. I, you have to have that time to listen and to learn and to and, and understand what, what, not just the culture you're going into, but also the time of that in that, in that culture. So for me, I was not just going into um a third world country but i was also going into an environment where the players had been promised they were going to get paid and then they never got paid uh, where they would find out that they had been they had been dropped from the team not by the coach but by the newspapers um and all of that stuff i had to understand as well as the culture before you then decide upon the pace and the risk of the decisions that you're gonna you're gonna make around around that around that group of people and then you have to i always talk about it um, it's Pareto's principle effectively I find try and find the trampolines either for the individuals or for the group those things that you can jump on to accelerate performance and so it might be with you know a, a, an athlete it might be on what they do really well and and you want to heighten that you want to you want to celebrate that and it might be for an organization we go okay here's the gap what's the thing I can make the most difference on in the shortest amount of time that's going to give us those trampolines uh, and so that I don't, that's what I had to do in Fiji at the start to understand things and then try to get an early foothold an early win that gets buy-in because you know as leaders you can have the greatest ideas but you need to have the people that are willing to to follow and and you need to make that a process where um 
there's autonomy as well and there's collaboration um, because I, I, I certainly feel that I've never done anything on my own to the level that I've wanted. I've always needed other people around me to help mm. me and guide me and be part of that that um, that process. Yes, and, you know, that, that description of what you went into <laughs> with Fiji. And also, by the way, you haven't told the people listening that you also didn't get paid, right? So not, not even no. the players. So you went to a job, Ben, across the other side of the world with a team that was remarkably different from anything that you'd experienced without being paid, and you made the decision, I think, incredibly quickly. Yeah. What what was it that that gave you that desire or that that yearning to do something like that? Which, you know, if you read it on paper, you'd think, why on earth would anyone go into that or choose to do that? Well, the first thing was, I mean, I didn't get long to make the decision. So to give you a really uh, brief kind of synopsis of how I got the job, I had left England feeling a little bit out of love with professional sports, you know, and um when we if you broke down the components of creating psychological safety like belief and purpose autonomy safety security i i had a revert the complete opposite of those in my how i felt about my current role um with, within england i needed to leave and and i was going to get a job somewhere else and suddenly saw on twitter that that uh, Fiji a mate sent me a message saying Fiji are looking for a new head coach and there was something in me having played and coached against Fiji that I wanted to investigate further because I'd seen their potential but I'd seen how up and down they were but I also saw the joy in what they did mm. and I thought I'd, I'd I'll, I'll, mm. I'll investigate further applied and they said yeah let's have a, a Skype back then interview at two in the afternoon in Suva that in the capital of Fiji that's two in the morning in in the UK and I put a tie on for the first time since I left school and downed a couple <laughs> of espressos, stuck my laptop on the breakfast table ready for my interview at two and, and no one showed up for two hours. And if you if, if you know any islanders, you'll understand Fiji time, you know, no hurry, no worry. And um eventually Skype word into action and the and the CEO um had put the Skype onto a projector onto the back wall of his of his office in 35 Gordon Street Suva and so that other people could also peer in and uh, and join the conversations and ask me important questions like, you know, do I know Johnny Wilkinson, uh, the famous rugby <laughs> player, and had I met the Queen and 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 questions <laughs> like that. And and I had I had managed to stay awake, which I thought was a success. Put the laptop down, and in the morning I, I thought I'd go online and find out a bit more about Fiji. And I went on to the Fiji Times, the newspaper's website, and the front page was that the CEO that interviewed me had got sacked straight after my my interview. So I thought that that was that. And then two weeks later, I'm sitting in a restaurant in Richmond, and my phone rings, and it's a Fijian number, and uh, and I say hi, and they say, "Bola, this is Berlin Kafoa. I'm the the new CEO of the Fijian Rugby Union." Um, and I said, "Hi, what can I do for you?" He said, "Oh, we've got a press conference here in Fiji in 20 minutes' time." Um, so that's great. You know, what, what's it about? He said, it's to name you as our new head coach. And and I, I said, OK, do I, do I get any say in this? He said, yeah, 20 minutes. Call me back. So I only had a very small window and I didn't have time. I didn't really have time to take that breath that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. I didn't I couldn't put the pros and cons down. I didn't know what the contract offer was in terms of duration or cost or how much I was going to get paid, what it'd be like to live in Fiji, who was... <laughs> What, who my bosses were, who, who was left in the team. But I knew that I had just fallen out of love with a, a job that I had previously loved. 
and yes. I wanted to I wanted to give it another go. So I, I rang them back and said yes, and, and they said, "Great, if you can um, fly to Fiji in the next few days, if you don't mind paying for your flight, we'll we'll, we'll pay you when we get when you get here." That they're waiting for that particular check, but I arrived, <laughs> and then and then I found out all those things that that I talked about around the team going bankrupt and frozen bank accounts and a military dictator as a, as my as my line manager and, and and all that sort of stuff and and that that was where I, where I was and I went to the first tournament and we didn't do very well and then as I was getting the, the a lift back to the airport to fly home to then pack my bags to live in Fiji the new CEO said oh one more thing Ben we we haven't got any money um to pay you and I thought he meant the weekend and he meant for the next six months. And mm-hmm. and so there was plenty of negativity around those first few days. But the positive side was I had spent a few days with the team and they weren't fit. They didn't really know what to eat correctly. They, there was no intensity about their training. They had no discipline protocols, um, but they were really joyful. They were really mm-hmm. happy. They were really grateful I was there. I realized I could I could see their talent bubbling in them. And I just I, I remembered why I did what I did, why I became a teacher, why I became a coach, um, to help people be their best version. And I thought, I'm gonna love this. And so yeah. when, you know, they, they didn't pay me, and then when I did get paid, and then when they didn't pay me again a few a year or so later, it never really entered my mind to leave because of kind of what I had agreed that I wanted to help do my bit and I could control that. And that if at some point the finances got so bad that I had no other alternative, um, I'd leave. But up until that point, I'd stick by it. And um, it was easily that I would never change, you know, if I, if I suddenly could reverse time and get paid for those six months, I don't think I'd wanted to because it narrowed my focus and made me sure about exactly what I was doing. And I kind of doubled down on, on making sure that I would do all I can to make, make that work. I love that. What's jumping out here is the power of what we choose to do when we connect and plug into our purpose energy. For most of us, being given 20 minutes to make such a life-changing decision with no sense of the details of the contract would be ridiculous. But for Ben, there was a stronger desire and yearning that he was connecting to. It really just wasn't about the 20 minutes. This yearning had been brewing for Ben for a lot longer than that. That 20 minutes offered an opportunity for him to jump all in and honor the bigger purpose. As I was talking to him, I was taken to that pull of a deeper knowing, the one that sits deep within the body. It can't be rationalized. It honored what he felt he'd lost. His loss of belief, loss of purpose, and his sense of autonomy had become a pressure which he chose to turn into a desire. A desire and yearning to leave and find something else. He left England feeling a bit out of love with the professional sport. He said he'd fallen out of love with a job that he'd previously loved. I love this insight. I see pressure turn up for people in specific moments, in specific environments, with specific people, and actually, with further exploration, it's not about the specifics. It's a deeper yearning for more fulfillment, to connect personal values that are feeling buried and now need unleashing. They're slowly falling out of love with a job that they used to love. Well, it happened to me in teaching, actually. The protocols and processes that were brought into education slowly eroded my love of what I was doing. I had to leave. Ben had known he had to leave for a while. And what attracted him to Fiji 
besides their potential and how inconsistent they were, was the joy he saw in what they did. This is a key value for Ben. And when he tapped into that, it narrowed his focus. And as he said, he doubled down on what he had to do to make that work. And that's the power of what happens when we connect to the energy of purpose. So here are a few questions to elicit yours. Are you tolerating the pressure of doing a job that you've fallen out of love with? If no, wonderful. But do you know why? What values are being fulfilled and honored? Maybe write them down. If yes, ask what truly matters to you. What do you yearn to experience more fully? For Ben, it's joy. Joy comes up a lot in what you say now, but also it comes a lot in what I've read as well about what matters to you when you lead others and the whole idea of combination of learning and laughing. And um, yeah. what was the phrase you used? Winning by being nice. You know, yeah. all of these things that actually you'd never read normally in a description of, you know, how to lead through difficulty or how to lead through pressure. And it really struck me that these things became very strong mantras for you and the way that you took these guys to an Olympic gold, in fact. Yeah, there's there's a, quite a few things to unpack there. Before I do that, I just got to apologise. There's a bit of noise to the listener behind me. We've got some, uh, we're cutting the pitches at hopefully 25 millimeters to make sure that they're nice and fast to train on so there might be some white noise in the background a little bit don't um, worry it'll I think... create the atmosphere even better for us if only we can smell the grass as well <laughs> no but no that, that's the next thing i actually have got i've just done a aromatherapy through the building so there is fresh oh, cut grass that. is in is in the first team first team changing room at the moment so there's a few things on that there's there's actually one very practical performance reason for me in that I'm a total believer that if someone's happy in what they do, that I'll get a good performance out of them. And that I do not need before a game or before a meeting to be shouting and screaming at someone to get them at their best. You know, I, I, I've seen I've, I've seen coaches shouting at players that are not, not here at Brentford back in the day in, in my early career where a, a player might be dancing and, and, the, and the coach thinks, what are you doing? You're not being professional, you know, straighten yourself up and you need to have a frown and be shouting at people for being able to perform. And in Fiji, I, I learned that if there's a Fijian smiling opposite you as you're about to run onto the pitch, you really should worry because that, <laughs> that, that Fijian is probably going to make you look very silly for the, for the next amount of time this game is going on. And I just know if you get people in the right flow state where they feel confident, not overconfident, but highly confident and highly competent, mm. then you're going to do you're going to do pretty well. And and I, and I suppose that's been very early on for me that I needed to find ways of making people enjoy what they were doing and prioritize it. And maybe as a result of that, since I left Fiji, the jobs that I've had and the consultant work that I've done. Um, either through me or through them as I, I've managed to find myself in places that are aligned with that, you know, and we're, we're in a very, very unique situation probably here in the Premier League with Brentford, where we perhaps have the smallest budget in the Premier League, but we're doing very well because, and one of the things that, that we really, we, we want to enjoy ourselves, you know, what's mm. the point in spending 70 hours a week working if you're actually not enjoying it and having fun. Um, and, it's vitally important and philosophically that's that's what I hold front and center and I've had enough experience now to know that 
just because you're smiling or laughing, it doesn't mean you're taking things, you, you're cutting corners or not taking things seriously. It just means that you're you're really invested in it and and you are allowed to love what you do. It's mm. totally appropriate. Yes. And, and, that no, and at no point should we judge you because I'm seeing you smiling and laughing. And how do you promote that as a value through Brentford, for example? I think actually for me, like lots of other people do do it at Brentford. So we have a fantastic manager, Thomas, uh, who will, will 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 be front of house, making sure that he's he's very very consistent. You mm. won't see him um, drop off much as far as his levels of energy. Um, he's good now at when when there's there's dips in his energy, he'll find ways to recover that. And that spreads. So it always helps if there's there's leaders in the organization that you can see them that they're, they're living proof of being happy and delivering world class performance. And I think that rubs off on people. We we generally don't create an environment that allows anybody to dominate in a negative way. That you know, we have a safe place where I think we'll call out poor behavior. Um we'll celebrate things that have gone well i think it's really important to celebrate that we create healthy competition we have fun in training um in a good way um there's no there's no banter that's negatively picking on people uh it just wouldn't survive in the building because i think everybody's aligned around that and everyone feels safe that they can be their best version now of course there's there's always times that that you're not 100 on it but i think it's that alignment across ideally as big a organization as you can the whole organization and it's really difficult especially in in big multinationals and global yeah. companies so then you start small you know you make sure that the group that you work alongside every day is creating that purposeful energy um is aligned um is working within agreed guardrails and then you so slowly spread spread that you know and, yeah. and and it can it it 100 can spread yes you just don't you just don't try don't try to get too far ahead of yourself you know realize yeah. that creating the right culture can take years but also reminding people that you can it can disintegrate in seconds absolutely you know, you know and 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 that's that's such a curious thing about culture you know that you really can spend most of your career building it and it can disappear in seconds if you suddenly do something that's that's inappropriate or wrong so yeah keeps people consistent yeah yeah and so my sense of you is that when you're when you're in charge of others ben and when you want to get the best out of others you're in your sweet spot i, I kind of stumbled across it over the years on um having a having a, a formula i suppose that firstly if there's somebody that i'm working with then we'll have an agreed set of principles guardrails you know yeah. and uh they've got to be agreed with the other person that that's what we're that's what we're chasing and this is where we can work within these parameters and then inside that, those guardrails um you are given the freedom to, to to do whatever you want within those guardrails you, to be your best version to um to to go about how you want to approach that whatever that that might be that goal that that project in the way that that is you being authentic mm. but that if you crash into those guardrails um there's a consequence 
and everyone's agreed that and probably knows what those consequences are. And I, you know, I, I use the analogy of driving over. Um, I used it with a with a group that I worked with a few years ago that when we we were near the Firth of Forth Bridge, and um, I said, "How many of you have driven over that bridge?" and they'd all driven over that bridge. I said, okay, take the guardrails out on the sides. How many of you are still going to drive over that bridge? And they're like, oh, I've got a really nice car. I, I, I don't think I'd take that risk. And it gets windy up there. Um, but if I did, I'd probably drive really slowly down the middle. Uh, I said, okay, well, you've all said you've driven over that bridge. How many of you have crashed into the sides of it? And, and none of them had. And I, I think that's how you set standards and guardrails, that you don't make them so narrow that people feel constricted and can't be themselves and are kind of underpowered and not being able to drive very fast. But you don't make them so wide that they're like, wow, I can do anything I want. I really don't really have the direction that I need to get to where I want to get to. And you're zigzagging your way to um, the outcome. Mm. You create, and, and that that's collaboration. And then it's the ability as leaders just to let go and allow people to do their jobs. And if once you do that with people around you, then they feel that that you, that they feel valued. They feel that their voice and their decisions are being heard. So they have mm -hmm. that that purpose is getting amplified. You recognize their achievements. So anything that you feel that they've done well, you really celebrate it. And then yeah. that reinforces those positive behaviors and go back to the fun. You know, yeah. you, you make huh. that as fun as, possi as, as possible. Um and that includes their status as well. So going back again to Amy Edmondson and psychological safety, that ticks a lot of boxes that she probably think yeah. goes a long way towards creating an environment where people feel they have a voice, but they can also achieve what they need to achieve. Yeah. In terms of you personally, Ben, what would you say is the worst pressure you've ever faced? Ooh. What a great question. I think from a professional uh, point of view, it actually hasn't been the big events that I thought maybe, you know, you would feel the pressure. So, you know, the night of before an Olympic final or winning my first world title or my first time I was coaching England or my first time I played, made my professional debut or made my international age group debut. Um it's probably where I felt the most anxiety and pressure. I think might be those opening opening hours and days in new in new roles, mm. where you're you've mm. got self doubt, where you're thinking, okay, like they know that I've got a pretty decent CV and I've achieved a few things, but you know, do these people like me? Do they rate me? Am I doing a good job? Where do I know if I'm doing a good job? Who can I trust around the organization? You're feeling a little bit that of, of an island in those early hours and days and weeks sometimes. Um, and so for me, I'm always very conscious of that now when new people come come into buildings. And I'm also very conscious on, on I talked about that earlier, mm. breaking things down into manageable moments. You know, I, in those early days with Fiji, I remember when I was very, very nervous the following morning. And it's actually, that is probably the area, that's probably the moment where I felt the most pressure. So that in that night when I accepted the job and then put the phone down and had another couple of glasses of red wine and finished my meal and got carried away with the excitement of going to this amazing exotic island and um, starting this new adventure, you wake up in the morning and I literally was petrified. And I rang my agent 
and I said, "Get me out of this," because I, I think I, I'm so I'm, I was so scared of of the unknown. I remember walking miles down the River Thames to to see my chiropractor because my back was a bit dodgy. Think it just worrying, just it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and uh, and I remember picking up the phone and speaking to one of my mentors and. And they just said, look, just treat it like a long holiday. And if it doesn't work out, well, you just come home and everyone will understand that. And it immediately turned off those butterflies in my stomach. And I mm -hmm. suddenly put it into a manageable moment where I'm like, yeah, you're right. I get off the plane. I don't like it. And I did. I got off the plane and I was knackered and I met the whole of the the Fijian board and the government and, and they did a real Fijian feast. They talked in Fijian and I was discombobulated by my three flights and the yeah. pressure and people asking for all these things. And I sat on the bed in the, that night thinking, oh, my good Lord, what the, what the hell has just happened? But I woke up in the morning. I opened the curtains. It was blue sky. I could see the blue Pacific Ocean. I was like, okay, let's see what today has in store. And slowly I felt better and better about what was in front of me and I hadn't just got carried away with it. So that that was probably the biggest pressure, actually, the most anxiety I've ever felt in my life was probably that those, those yeah. first few days. Yeah, and I'm hearing a thread way back from when you were a kid and you you imagined you were tripping over a, a, a log or, you know, a tree was collapsing and some external person saying to you, you're too young to worry about that, just stop it. <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. and then this mentor, it feels like some sort of external perspective that just says something like that is incredibly helpful for you to open the, out of that moment into a much broader perspective. It's useful yeah. to know, isn't it? These things that just work for you. Yeah, it is. I, I, it might be for different people. They have different kind of triggers for them. But for me, I have a feeling when, the, when I, I'm feeling under pressure that things are closing in on me. And yes. you're mm. getting blind to perspective and you're just narrowing in on all the negative stuff. Yes. And you're thinking of, oh, but this could happen, this could happen. And, 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 and you know, a million times in a row, probably nothing will happen or that you're constructing in your head that's negatively. But yeah. you somehow need to be able to, uh, which I've learned over time and things that I've talked about, to be able to just take myself away and just look at me and just go, come on, Ben, don't yeah. be daft, you know, just settle down, take it at this moment. And, and yeah, I, I do that a lot. Um, I do a lot of talking to myself in the mirror. I don't know if that's healthy or not. Doesn't even need a mirror. I can just have a coffee yeah. in the morning. Yeah. And actually be meaningful, mindful um, about my first couple of sips of coffee. I don't just whack it back. I actually feel it going down my throat and, into nice. my stomach I talk a bit to myself and say come on Ben we're gonna have a cracking day today what, what have you got planned and I yeah and I've changed that a little bit actually because at the beginning when I was a consultant I talked to leaders and various people about how you can be mindful at the start of the day do this do these breathing exercises and when you're in the maelstrom of particularly yeah. elite professional sport it's like how you got that time to do all that you're yeah. up you're out the door so you pick these micro dosing opportunities. Yeah. And for me, that's two sips of espresso and it's 10 seconds of me talking to myself and yeah. being nice to myself. Yeah. And I think, well, that is better than gulping down a coffee and having negative thoughts at the start of the day. I'm hoping it is anyway. And and you, you find those moments. 
to yeah. regulate yourself and check in a bit. And, and it clearly makes a difference to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't continue doing it. It does. You still need external. I mean, I remember I remember when, when I caught up with you in Hampstead Heath by the station yes. to have a coffee. And, and, and I think whatever we were going to talk about, I ended up unloading on you on about a specific problem that I was feeling really anxious about. And being able to share that with you, for you to give me the advice to settle me down, I felt very light leaving leaving that that mm. you know. And I, I drank a couple of quite large oat milk flat whites, so I probably <laughs> should have felt a bit heavier. But I felt lighter because you had helped me just organise my thoughts mm. and hadn't put them all into the negative worry. You'd put them into a bit of okay, I can do this. This is this is how I'm going to how, how I'm going to approach this. Um, I think that's really important as well that yeah. you, you some it's good to sometimes be able to put them away and deal with them at a time that's more appropriate. But there's also okay some of the things that make you the most anxious and you feel the most pressure is because you don't you haven't thought about okay how am I getting myself out of this? How am I working through this? Yeah. And you might have the solutions yourself, but you might also need people that you trust that can help you find those solutions. Yeah. Yeah. And force yourself to step away from the pressure to, to explore it. I, yeah. I think that's what I witness a lot with people is that they get caught in this sort of system of do, 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 do. And, and the pressure comes in and, and, you know, the whole sort of limbic system is saying, keep going, keep going. Or, you know, the dog brain in my ears going like, keep going, just keep going. You'll be fine if you just keep going. And, and actually it's counterintuitive sometimes to just keep going. It is. Yeah. And then, on top of that, add kind of particularly professional sports environment. It's like, oh, you've got to be one of the first ones in. You know, people have got to see that your, your car's in a car park at six thirty. You know, put it in a prominent place, yeah. um, and uh, and be one of the last ones to leave. And it's like that's not what we want to encourage because I want you to work smartly. I want you to have the balance. Yeah, of course, I want you to fulfil your job as well as you can, but that doesn't mean that I'm flogging you. And then you're like that teacher that at the end of term just gets ill because yeah. they've not had any time to, to 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 generate that energy. Yeah, such a recurring message throughout all these conversations about the relationship between recovery and performance, and how do you honour that? Oh my goodness! I mean, I'm I'm seeing a trend in at, at elite level where we're putting way more onus. I mean, we have a sleep coach. No, no other team in the in the league has that. But and, and she would say to you, it's not about actually when your head hits the pillow, it's about everything else you do yeah. up until that point that allows you to give yourself enough energy to be your best, you know. And like I say all the time, you can't give energy if you don't have energy. And totally true. I, I I think we will see a change in the model at elite level where we're resting far more than we than we currently do. Um and it's not seen as a negative and it's not seen as a day off. It's actually seen as, as a, as a way to enhance performance and create consistency. Well, alleluia to that. I want to capture a few things that Ben shared when reflecting on his worst pressure moment. That description of pressure feeling like things are closing in. Contraction versus expansion. God, I can so relate. Our tendency to narrow in on all the negative stuff, becoming blind to perspective and focusing instead on what could go wrong, also common in moments of pressure. I really value the fact that Ben shares the impact those opening hours or days in a new role can have on him. 
It's sort of refreshingly human to hear from someone who's spent his life dealing with massive moments, finals and international tournaments, that it's the first moments in new roles that have the potential to derail him. The fear of the unknown and feeling alone rather than in a team. A new role is less familiar for Ben than building up into a competitive game, so it has the potential to spark his unhelpful inner dialogue of do people rate me or who can I trust? This relates directly to the point he made really early on that the more we can place ourselves in different pressure situations, we can then learn to filter them and remind ourselves that we do know, we've done it before. Our filter needs to be expanded though if it's going to remind us of the power that we all have to manage pressure and to be the best version of ourselves. A few things Ben mentions that I love. Being present with your morning drink, feeling it go down through your body, speaking the day into existence. Using your own name, this one is key. According to research done by Ethan Cross, when we refer to ourselves in the third person, using our name, we distance ourselves from ourself, which helps us perform. And also when we give that advice, focusing on what we want, not what we'd want to avoid. So for example, rather than saying, you mustn't worry, Ben says, Ben, have a cracking day. Creating micro-dosing opportunities, moments when you intentionally slow down, even if it's just for a few seconds, to become present with what you're doing, to regulate yourself. Being intentional about what you want to happen next, choosing your experience rather than letting the pressure dictate. Get an outside perspective to organise your thoughts. Step away from the pressure to explore it with people that you can trust to help you find the solution. I found it really interesting that Brentford have a lot less money than the big clubs in the Premier League, but are the only one that has a sleep coach. I really hope his prediction that we will see resting being taken a lot more seriously and accepted as a vital part of performance enhancement comes true. And not just in elite sport, but also in organisations as a whole. And that that habit replaces the current less productive performance enhancement of back-to-back -back meetings. Ironically, that way of working drains our energy. And, as Ben says, you can't give energy if you don't have energy. Ben, thank you. That's, uh, just before we finish, there's always this opportunity to pass two things forward. So if I were to say to you, there's somebody listening to this podcast, they want to be better under pressure. What would be two things that you would pay forward Ooh. to them? Look for the, look for the small, look for the small things that might allow you to get yourself back to the altitude you want to so pay attention so for me if i suddenly get in the car today and i've seen that i've left a bit of a mess in the passenger seat that's not put that stuff in the bin that's like ben why have you what what it's a little trigger that you're you're rushing you're cutting corners your your energy's dropping off so how do you then respect yourself a little bit more and allow yourself some more time that would be one thing I think see the small things um and one other thing that I've learned a lot recently in the last few years really I think is always be aware of how well you listen to people and I've constantly I constantly check myself about I'll leave I'll leave someone go oh Ben you've been rubbish again at listening you've interrupted people you've not allowed people to to breathe fully and talk about what they want to and I know that when I do that well, when I'm in the room and listening, I'm getting so much out of those conversations that's allowing me to be better at what I do and for them to be better. 
those things are really important and i'm going to give it a third because i I like to find ways of of cpd and growth and i can't unfortunately at the moment can't spend hours reading books but i can spend 10 minutes and 20 minutes here and there so i write lists of things at the beginning of the week that aren't necessarily the jobs i need to do professionally but the things i need to do personally that are good for me so it's like pick that book up for 10 minutes Mm. and listen to that podcast make that text to your mate that you haven't spoken to for a couple of months or maybe someone that has whatsapped you and you actually didn't even bother replying to them not because you're being rude but because time takes away that that so those things as well um, the small little things that can quickly add up yeah so true thank you and I, i i don't know if i shared this when we spoke ben but um on the subject of listening, one of the most useful things that was once said to me in an improvisation class was um, the director said, in improvisation, make the other person more important than you. And I think that's one of the best descriptions of active listening I've ever heard, really. Just, and I say it to, you know, when I'm listening, like the other person in that moment, that doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but in that moment, that other person is more important than you. Yeah. I love it. I'm writing it down. <laughs> oh, so the, other, the other thing, my memory is just dissolving at the <laughs> oh, moment. D- ditto, <laughs> ditto, ditto. Um, ben, thank, thank you, you so much thank you for, for your that. time. No, you're very, very, very welcome. Um, and thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute no, pleasure. No, it's a pleasure. And thank you for, for all your advice and help. And thank you for, for the book, The Shed Method. I love it. I tell lots of people about it. It it just gives clarity in a lot of things so you know thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of better under pressure with me sarah milne rowe if you enjoyed it please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.